We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcast. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. A part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This morning, Buffalo is absolutely the best team in the NFL. They're a Hail Mary away from winning their last seven. The only team in the NFL, the only one, with 20 or more first downs every game. They've allowed fewer than 25 points in three straight games. Their defense leads the NFL by a mile in fourth quarter takeaways. So they're playing great situational football. Since week nine, they score more than the Chiefs. They have more touchdown-to-interception ratios better. Their point differential is better. Their turnover differential is better. And they've got fewer penalties in the last three weeks. This morning, Buffalo is the best football team in the NFL. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. We have the Rock Power Report Podcast. And that was Colin Cowherd of giving his herd hierarchy... It has the Buffalo Bills ranked at number one in the NFL. I was watching that this afternoon, and I had texted you when Green Bay came up in the three spot, and I was like, oh, shit, we're number two. And then it went to Kansas City as his number two. I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? How are we number one on his hierarchy? We have a lot to talk about tonight, and it has a lot to do with that theory. Folks, it's week 14, and we're here to recap everything that went on in the AFC East. First, the Buffalo Bills, 10-3, and three, sitting in first place. The Bills matched their first start to a season, mm, starting off this well since 1991. 
in their victory over the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. They now hold a two-and-a-half game lead for the AFC East title, and it seems that by the week, there are fewer and fewer threats to us lining that up. Right now, our only opponent is ourselves. Yeah, we don't want to beat ourselves. The Miami Dolphins, sitting in second place at 8-4, and four, in falling to the Kansas City Chiefs, despite a valiant attempt at a comeback, not only did the Finns get farther back in the standings, but they also sustained a sizable number of injuries that could potentially derail their pursuit of a playoff berth. Of course, if they were to miss the postseason, knowing that they took Kansas City to the wire, knowing what they've been over the last month or month and a half of football that's really put them in this position, if they were to miss simply because of injuries, given the roster construction, how disappointing would that be? Uh, that'd be uh, that'd be pretty bad, I guess. The Patriots, at six and seven, sitting in third place, in losing to the Rams and with the Bills winning, the Patriots for the first time in almost twenty years are on the brink of elimination from contention of the. Well, first of all, they're eliminated from contention of the AFC's title, and now yeah, that their, is amazing. And with their playoff hopes in a single digit percentage, and the slate of games they have in front of them, including the Buffalo Bills. We have them on the ropes for the first time in my adult life. This is a, it's a thing of beauty. And then you have the Jets singing 0-13 firmly in the basement of the AFC. I mean, I assume this is what every Jets fan is feeling right now. Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. And... I make fart noises with my mouth. And I like to cut. Hey, Nutjob, quit the singing. Creeping out all the regulars. I'm expressing my inner anguish to the majesty of song. There is no song that can quiet that inner anguish. I mean, that's... Jets fans are dead on the inside. Almost like us. It's funny in that way. <laughs> but we have a packed show for you, and we got to kick it off right here and now. So to kick off the show... We have to open. We have no choice but to open. Talking about the New England Patriots and their 24-3 loss to the Rams. And he was nice enough to join us despite the circumstances. Mr. Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. I was a little better the last time we talked because <laughs> things looked a little better in Patriots Nation. But oh. today uh, I come to you hat in hand, humble and contrite. So... All right, guys, let me have it. Well, it's not about letting you have it. I mean, your last appearance on this podcast, we asked you just how sustainable it was to keep winning football games when your quarterback can't work for a passing attack. We didn't have to wait that long to get the answer. I mean, you guys were the Thursday night game. It was literally a couple days. Out of all the game flow questions I have for you, because I've got some things above and beyond that that we have to get into here, but if we're talking about the game, first of all, a real lack of intensity from the Patriots. What do you what do you blame that on? Yes, guys, I think it's just the, the way and the nature of the way this team is this year. And, you know, some teams have that. And uh, you can't, you're right, you can't sustain 
going 9 of 16 passing, 119 yards with an interception. It's just not going to cut it in this league. And, you know, with all due respect, I think Cam Newton has, you know, done a, a serviceable job this year, and I think he's been as as good as he can be. But the Patriots just lack the consistent the consistency, consistently connecting with receivers in the offense, finding the balance of running the football, utilizing play action, uh, and being able to play to the strengths of everyone on this roster. Uh, the wide receiver core and the tight end core are definitely not deep this year. There's no question about it. Uh, they've had their share of injuries, opt-outs. There have been a lot of extenuating circumstances, but none of those is really an adequate excuse for you know subpar play. And, and I think in a lot of ways, I think Patriots right now are a team that has shown flashes of being a good to decent football team at times, and then you've seen regression. And unfortunately, it's just something that seems to be the norm for the team this year. So there was a lot that went wrong on Thursday night on both sides of the ball. I definitely don't want to put this all on Cam Newton's shoulders. It certainly wasn't. I thought the offensive line played their worst game of the season. I thought the defensive line played their worst game of the season. And when the two lines are playing poorly, you can't expect to win against a team like the Rams, who has a very good offensive game plan. I thought their game plan was excellent on offense. And defensively, I thought they played right into the Patriots' uh, hands. They, uh, um, Or I should say the opposite. The Patriots played right into uh, uh, to the Rams' hands, and Aaron Donald was able to be dominant, as he usually is. And they got a lot of good contributions from their front three and also their linebacking core. Patriots are just overmatched in every, uh, every category, including coaching on Thursday. I mean, I'm looking at this and my notes. I was like, the defensive backs of the Patriots kind of held serve. I mean, you held, I started Jer- uh, Jared Goff in fantasy, and I thought you guys were going to tank me this week because I'm watching him really defer to the ground game. And yet, you guys allowed Cam Akers to set the rookie rushing record. What is the state of your defensive front seven right now? Uh, the defensive front seven right now is porous. And I mean, there's just, it's. It's a situation where I was really surprised at some of the game planning that went into what the defensive front seven actually did. And I was really surprised that the Patriots did not take advantage of playing Chase Winovich more, especially early in the game. I know conventional wisdom says that Chase Winovich is a pass rusher. They wanted to go strong. They wanted to defend the run. But two stats that really should stand out to you if you're a Patriots fan or even if you're not and you just want to know what went wrong on Thursday night. With Chase Winovich on the field, the Rams carried the ball 11 times, 28 yards. They did get the touchdown, but that was a short yardage touchdown. When he was on the sideline, that's when this team was able to go to work. They carried the ball 23 yards for 100, 23 times for 150 yards. Uh, that tells me right there, that especially in the second half, when the Patriots had a guy like Winovich who's very versatile and capable of not only rushing the passer but also getting into coverage and being able to defend the run, that the Patriots were much better. Uh, Their scheme was poor. Uh, Their defensive game planning was poor. Trying to defend against the run just wasn't the same as we've seen. Patriots are lacking a solid presence in the middle. Uh, They don't have that nose tackle, that Danny Shelton-type role that they lost when Shelton left and headed over to Detroit. Um, Carl Davis has been injured. He's been, you know, uh, serviceable at best, and I'm probably being generous on that. Uh, Isaiah Mack has been virtually uh, invisible, uh, and Bo Allen was the guy that they had originally got to come in. Bo never played a down for the Patriots this year, so without that solid presence in the middle, especially the way the Patriots alternate between the three four and the four three, and being able to utilize that front three especially or the front seven to defend against the run, they were just overmatched. And in the linebacking core. 
Juwan Bentley is always overmatched when he's got to go and be a run defender. It's a very difficult thing for him to do, and that is his role, but unfortunately that's a role vacated by Dante Hightower, and the Patriots are paying the price for it, and they looked overmatched on Thursday night. So then I go, I, I go and I look at the offense, and to your point, not a lot of this, this isn't all Cam's fault, but the offense was brutal to watch. Obviously, there's the pick six that gets a lot of the press. But for me, the most glaring thing, I'm looking at my phone right now because I was taking notes to talk to you about as I'm watching the game. Because <laughs> it's like, I can't wait to talk to Debate about this. Patriots in the red zone. On, on fourth down. Well, actually, on third and fourth down. Despite spread formations from what? The five or six yard line. There was not a Rams defender that thought Cam Newton was ever going to throw the ball. And yet, you guys ran it with Cam Newton twice out of those types of formations, I think both for losses. And then you turn the ball over on downs, and it kind of sets the tone for the whole game. At that point, I think back to that Seattle game, and I go, well, that was the last game where you really thought, like, man, this is a super, super competitive Patriots team. And yet they ran the ball or tried to from seven yards out with Cam Newton. And after that game, Josh McDaniels was talking about how, well, we're always going to go with our what we think is our best play. How is it that through 14 weeks of football, your best play in the red zone is still Cam Newton unsuccessfully trying to run from the three-yard line or four-yard line? I mean, it's worked some weeks, but when it doesn't work, it blows up in your face. Yeah, and the Patriots are going to the well one too many times. And again, I think that's an indictment on the personnel. I think that's an indictment somewhat on confidence in the quarterback. And it's play calling. And look, Josh McDaniels has definitely have to uh, you know, look at the play calling that he's been maneuvering and utilizing and say to himself, am I really utilizing um, Cam Newton's strengths the way they should be utilized? You see a lot of what the Patriots are doing very similar to the playbook that they ran when Tom Brady was running this offense. And we've talked about this here several times on Rock Pile Report. This is something that is a problem for the Patriots, and it's continued to be a problem. Just when you think they're going to turn that corner, they revert back to that old playbook, that old style of playing, and it's just not the way to utilize Cam Newton. You mentioned the pick six. Um, you know, Cam was targeting Damian Harris. Uh, Aaron Donald was brilliant in being able to grab him. It was a legal grab. Uh, I know some Patriots fans were up in arms about that. I've watched it four or five times over again. Purely legal grab on Donald's part. Very, very heads-up play by him. It threw the timing. It threw, It disrupted it. And once that happened, you see Newton didn't expect it. He fires the ball to where Harris should have been. And the throw was high. Kenny Young comes in, takes a advantage of that broken play, and he takes it to the house for 79 yards. That was an ill-timed throw by Cam, but at the same time, that was a brilliant play by Donald that, by Donald that really precipitated that. So I look at that as just a real heads-up play by Donald rather than really a bad mistake by Cam. But it's still a throw that needs to go in the ground. It's not something that should have been thrown, and it just had happened at the worst possible time. But... There are times in that game where the pass rush was regularly collapsing the pocket, and Cam looked rattled at times. And he doesn't have a whole lot of weapons to be throwing to, so when that happens, 
that's going to ruin his anticipation. That's going to ruin his timing. And his connection with his receivers is going to suffer as a result. This has been the blueprint all season long to get to Cam Newton. The Patriots faced a subpar team in the Chargers on Sunday. They didn't take advantage of it at all. And the Patriots were able to tee off at will. This time, they faced a very formidable team on defense, and they paid the price for it. The Rams were ready for it and just were that step ahead of New England every step of the way. And it's not often that you see a Bill Belichick uh, team, uh, coach team, especially with Josh McDaniels as your head uh, uh, offensive coordinator, get dominated like that. But uh, the Rams were just a step ahead all night long. And that is what leads us to what might be the story of this entire podcast, what might be the crux of this whole show. Is the fan and analyst angst coming out of Foxborough? I mean, Bills fans, we know disappointment. (laughs) We know angst. We know suffering. We know failure. So there isn't any sympathy coming from us to you guys. Not after 20 years of nonsense. I know what the pulse of the Patriots fans are because I'm a petty man and I happen to float around over at Pat's pulpit and I, I eat up all of the comment section and I sometimes I contribute, not always helpfully, but I, I, it's, I, I right now have a running bet with Mark Schofield that if he can find out who I am, I'll drink a Seagram's. If he can figure it out and find my handle. But I, I creep around because I'm petty. But can you explain to our listeners what's going on, not just among Patriots fans, but among the media itself? Because here's a tweet, a tweet from Gary Tongay. Now, I don't know who he is to the Patriots fans or to Boston media, but I have a tweet and a quote tweet. And the tweet says, Bill Belichick did not build the Patriots from the ground up. In 2000, he inherited a bunch of good players from the 96 Parcells team. This Patriots roster needs an overhaul, and the current GM has given us no evidence that he can do it. That is a fact. I do not need to be noticed. And someone we follow called, oddly enough, Patriots Seventh Ring is his handle, who we follow, quote tweeted that by saying, JFC, by 2001, Bilicek had already flipped 46 roster spots, and there were just seven players left from 1996, including a kicker Parcells wanted to cut. A wide receiver he cut twice, and a backup quarterback, and a player he gave up on in Bruschi. <laughs> so, ultimately, what's happening here? It seems like the fan base, the media, everyone's kind of flailing, and some people get it, some people don't. What Can you describe for Bills fans what's taking place right now, this mea culpa? Uh, well, if you've ever seen Ghostbusters, it's dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> basically what's going on in the Patriots nation right now. And I'll do, I, I'll save the Pete Venkman voice for another appearance, but still, I mean, that's exactly what tends to happen when you see the Patriots collapse. Look, there is a sect of Boston media that takes great delight in watching the Patriots go down the tubes for whatever reason. And I'm not lumping Gary into that because I think that that's his take. That's exactly where he's going to go with that. And he probably ran with it. Look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I'm not going to sit there and start to criticize everybody for how they feel or the hot takes that they put out there but let's just say the Patriots seventh ring is much more accurate in his assessment than Gary was in his uh Bill Belichick is not a a GM that is just inheritant of all of the uh the successes that he's had and has nothing to do with them and has essentially been uh just an also ran or a passenger alongside the Patriots juggernaut he was one of the main architects of it along with Robert Kraft along with Tom Brady 
that triumvirate was responsible for 20 years of excellence in New England. Without one of those components, that dynasty does not work. So to sit there and to say it was all Brady, it was all Kraft, it was all Belichick is disingenuous, and it's an insult to all three of those entities. But one thing that I will say about Belichick is that there have been some difficulties and there have been some uh, hits to his resume when it comes to drafting. We talked about this last week when it came to him <laughs> drafting wide receivers and some of the difficulties that he's had. That is not an impressive list on that graphic that was put up by Fox. Uh, and, and there's a lot that people will, you know, will uh, give, you know, flack to when it comes to that. And some of that is well-deserved. But you look at all of the hits that he's had as opposed to the misses, and it's hard to argue the man's resume for the last 20 years. So um, there's still a large portion of the fan base that is in Bill we trust. Uh, They will continue to trust him no matter what. Uh, They'll have a lot of faith in the maneuvers that he makes. There are some fans that are ready to jump off the bandwagon loyalists or – the sight of seven losses in the loss column is something that most Patriots fans just can't handle, especially over the last 20 years. Again, I've told you before, I go back to the years where the Patriots were 1-15 in 15 and not selling out, um, at the time, Foxborough or even Sullivan or Schaefer Stadium. <laughs> uh, and they couldn't even get local TV to carry them because they didn't have enough fans in the stands to support it. There have been lean times here before. I don't think as long as Robert Kraft and the Kraft family own the team that they're going back to those days. But at the same time, there may be a little bit of a rebuild in uh, in New England. And I know that makes Buffalo fans happy. Uh, But at the same time, it's a tough pill to swallow for New England. So there's going to continue to be that storm. And some in the media will continue to stir it because it makes for good copy and it, it adds to ratings. I'll tell you what this does. This is what happens when a fan base gets spoiled for as long as you guys have. And when it comes to suffering, Chris and I and the rest of Bill's fans everywhere, we're the bane to your Batman. We were molded and shaped by angst and failure. That's been the majority of our lives. You guys have just now arrived at its doorstep. (laughs) You have no idea. There's a process that takes place, and I'm going to walk you through it. First... There's the trick. I call it the trickle down effect. First, you have the talking heads, the national media. They try to make waves by saying bombastic things, which emboldens the regional and local writers to say kind of milder takes, but along the same vein, which then serves to feed the manic portion of the fan base. Then you have the fans who are furthering this nonsense in the Patriots fan base. This narrative illustrates that they're too wet behind the ears to understand what the hell they're talking about. Because to your point, I mean, the Pete Carroll years, McPherson, Rust, those are names that most Patriots fans who are old enough to understand it would cringe at. And yet, these guys don't know. They don't know what painful mediocrity feels or tastes like until right now. This is their first taste of it. And they don't like it. And they're pushing back against it, against Bill Belichick. Oddly enough, the man who brought them greatness, sustained greatness for 20 years. I'll say, we'll be the first ones to say it. The grass is not always green around the other side. Chris, Wade Phillips. Bill's fans everywhere thought Wade Phillips, hey, we can do better. Wasn't that the reason he was run out of town? Uh, I don't know. I would have thought the Music City Miracle had something to do with it. So he loses that playoff game and everyone goes, you know what? We have to move on. What comes after him? Mike Malarkey? 
Greg Williams, Dick Duran, one winning season and no playoff appearances. Doug Marone, the guy who literally quit on our team on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Rex Ryan, the guy who ate dog biscuits and by the end of his tenure, most people wanted him to quit. A lot of poor GMs, a lot of poor drafting. Our team went down the tubes when we let go of the one regime that actually kind of brought us back to relevancy. So for Patriots fans and media who are quick to drum a guy like Bill Belichick out of town, someone who in this season that I've actually gained some affinity for, unlike that boot-hawking turd down in Tampa Bay, they don't understand how this process works. You don't just replace greatness. The meticulous game planning, the savvy to know your opponent's weaknesses and find a way to exploit them no matter what. To crush rookie quarterbacks at a rate unheard of in the NFL. Just by being good at your job and knowing defense. Mike, it's lunacy to think that there's a Patriots fan out there who can call themselves that that want this man gone, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, bottom line, guys, uh, Bill Belichick's job is safe. I mean, I, I think he could have gone 1-15 this year, and his job still would have been safe. You know, you mentioned it. You don't just replace greatness with like for like. It's not an easy plug-and-play where you can fix all the problems. And look, Tom Brady was not the only loss that the Patriots sustained in the offseason. You're talking three major components of a defense that is predicated on versatile linebackers that can be edge rushers and rush the passer and also drop back into coverage. Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, Alandon Roberts, all gone. Those are key components. You're talking about someone in the secondary like Patrick Chung, who's been a tight end eraser and really one of the focal points of that secondary. He opts out. Dante Hightower is arguably the quarterback of that defense. He was the guy, the eyes and ears that saw it all. He had the green dot on his helmet. He was the play caller. He was the signal caller when it came to that defense. He opts out. Uh, these are all sustainable losses that the Patriots had to go through this offseason. And you can't just replace that and expect that they're going to come in and they're going to have another 13-win season. Cam Newton is coming off of a season in which he barely played uh, due to you know injuries and, and difficulties. And he's had injuries the last few years, so he was going to come in with some rust, and you're seeing it this year. The fact that this team is 6-7 and seven is actually more impressive than most Pats fans would really want to give anybody credit for. Bill Belichick deserves a lot of credit for keeping this team intact this year. Has he made all the right moves? Absolutely not. Are there things that he does deserve to be criticized for? Moves that he's made on the field? De definitely, absolutely. But in the grand scheme of things, he is still the best man to run this franchise. I know the Kraft family is behind him, so anyone hoping that this is going to be uh, you know, Bill's jettison year, uh, they're in for a rude awakening unless Bill decides that he's had enough and he's going to ride off into the sunset. But I don't see that happening. I don't hear that happening around Foxborough. All the indications are is that he's locked into another, at least another year of coaching this team. And the Patriots have an awful lot of cap space available in the offseason. So we'll see what Bill the GM is capable of doing when he has cap space at his disposal, high draft capital to choose from, and some decisions to be made at key positions for players that may have uh, reached their prime or passed it. And if that's the case, uh, this team could look a lot different this year. 
meaning 2021. All right, sir. Well, you guys have a big matchup coming up against Miami, divisional matchup that determines the fate of the – determines your playoff relevancy for 2020, as feeble as it might be. What do you have going on over at Lockdown Patriots this week? Uh, this week at Lockdown Patriots, actually tomorrow on Wednesday, I'm mm. um, talking to uh, New York Times bestselling author Jeff Benedict, author of The Dynasty. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Brady-Belichick-Craft dynamic. Uh, Jeff did a great deal of breakdown on that. So that's coming up on tomorrow's episode of Lockdown Patriots on Wednesday. And, of course, Thursday, crossover Thursday with Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and Lockdown Dolphins. We'll be talking Pat's fins. And then Friday is the big uh, pregame uh, Friday preview episode. So definitely check that out. Download Locked On Patriots anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Because right now, an ice-cold Pepsi may just be the best part about watching the Buffalo Bills. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Coming out of the break, Chris, how crazy is it that fans have lost their minds in New England? Uh, it's pretty crazy. I like listening to it. Of course, we all do. I mean, I know, I know multiple people in my office who have spent their days on the Internet listening to New England sports radio over the last week. Schadenfreude. Just to take in, soak up all of the fan misery. Over here in Buffalo, we're living the polar opposite life. The Buffalo Bills won their game 26-15 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Our full recap is over at our Rockpile Report podcast if you haven't gone and heard it. As you all know, our brand is the hardest drinking, pettiest Bills podcast in existence. And Chris, raise a glass. I think we do well by that. We do. We strive to live up to that on a daily basis. So you can imagine, with that as our approach to not only being a podcast, but just who we are as people, we enjoy the hell out of what's taken place over the last few weeks. I mean, we, in this podcast last week, we talked about national attention winning in primetime gets you and not falling for clickbait, right? Yeah, like what you were getting from Nick Wright on Fox Sports 1's First Things First. I guess what we didn't talk about with you guys, the listeners, is that it's also fun to circle back to previous slander and clickbait looking for your pound of flesh. A little proverbial get back. And right now, there are a lot of national personalities on the pillory. Mina Kimes might have said it best. She tweeted out yesterday. You know how in comic book movies there's often an ambiguous, all-encompassing power source that can either save the world or destroy it if it falls into the wrong hands? That's how I feel about Bill's fans. (laughs) Is she wrong? Is she wrong? No, she's not wrong at all. I mean, look at this. WGR 550's Nate Geary has been using his platform to wage a one-man war 
like Rambo or Denzel Washington and Man on Fire, which is one of my favorite movies that I'm sure Chris has never seen. I've never heard of it. Obviously. Against everybody with a check mark who had slandered the Bills from guys who write for For the Win and pro football focus personalities to other radio hosts. Fans have pressured a number of analysts into publicly signing the Josh Allen apology form. I mean, Google it if you don't know what that is. And that includes Bleeding Green Nation's Michael Kist, who is a renowned disliker of Josh Allen. Let's also mention that he also did donate to Oshai he did. Children's Hospital. As he did. He's and probably the been the best at this so far with his makeup tour. And then Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson, who I wish we had seen the tweet, but Chris got us blocked because he's the guy softer than puppy shit. <laughs> what did you say to him? I don't know. I forgot, but I think I said something. The fact some- that you tweeted it's it couldn't have been that mean. No, I said something to him about not tagging. Like, he had a tweet where he used Bill's Mafia, but not the hashtag. Because he was afraid of what would happen. Exactly. Yeah, and you called him a coward, and he blocked us. Yeah. Because that's what a coward does. Seeing Fahey has disabled his Twitter. <laughs> He's no longer a part of Twitter. Nick Wright, the owner of Stupid Opinions and an even worse nose-to-face ratio, took to FS1 TV, uh, what, yesterday morning? Yeah. To decry the fact that the Cretans, quote-unquote, of Bill's Mafia have spent more than a week not only flooding his social media timelines with just gross tweets, photoshopped images of himself with... The male genitalia. <sighs> it... Not only that, but altering and defacing his Wikipedia page to say things like Josh Allen is his daddy. Yeah. Like, all kinds of things. And then, you found out, NFL NFL Network fantasy guru Adam Rank took the bait on one of Chris's tweets here about his preseason projections that he would, that the Bills would go 9-7. and seven. And he actually started responding to us, which is always a mistake. It's always a problem. I was surprised that he actually responded to the thread. And then people were commenting on it. And then he was also responding to those comments. I know. For a guy that almost has half a mil on Twitter. I mean, we're just season ticket holders. I'm not, you know, I was not (laughs) attacking Adam Rank in any way. I was just pointing out, hey, I have this receipt. You people need to see it. But this is what we've done. This is how, Chris... It's like when you fake go to punch somebody and they flinch. That's the national media right now with Bill's fans. Yeah. The acrimony is real, and to Mina's point, no one has been safe and there is no refuge. You can't block us or mute us all. We are legion. We are passionate fans from all corners of the world, and when we put our minds to something, good or bad, we can move mountains. And as bitter, cynical, petty people... It pleases me immensely, but it also makes me take a step back and think about this for a second. (sighs) The term bandwagoner gets thrown around a lot. We just got done talking to a Patriots analyst who is now having to deal with the fallout of a fan base comprised of fans who seem a little bit flaky in their passion for the team, their passion for the man who gave them glory. I mean, without Bilicek, they don't. They don't do anything over the the last 20 years, do they? No. Okay. And yet they're ready to run him out of town. They're literally rooting against their own best interest. 
Something that every team, I think, goes through to a certain degree, but one that Buffalo fans aren't used to considering. It, it's been 25 years since we've accomplished anything notable, like winning the AFC East. But with that level of success at hand and pieces in place that make it look sustainable, or at least more sustainable than anything going on elsewhere in the division, maybe even the conference, we seem to have them. People who doubted or simply weren't uh, as fervent in their faith, belief or enjoyment of this football team trying to get in on the act, right? Yeah. Quote unquote bandwagon fans. They aren't just the national personalities like Colin Cowherd, which you heard at the top of the show, who now all of a sudden, after talking about how I don't like the quarterback, but I like the coach. All season, that's been his narrative, right? Well, I think you listen to him more than I do. Yeah, well, preseason, preseason, I think Josh Allen was 87 or 97 in the NFL's top 100. And Cowherd had uh, laid out his argument why he would not have Josh Allen in the top 200, in which this season Josh Allen has just grown again from last season with everything that he's had to work on to be better. We've got guys like Adam Shine, who, to his credit, has been on our bandwagon since 2019. He thought last year was our year. But before that, where was he? And where was Colin Cowherd? Because I'm pretty sure they, neither one of them in 2018 were talking about the Buffalo Bills. No. Because that's not their job. No. They're, th- 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 these people are all entertainers. They tap dance because they know it pays their mortgage. It's like, look, they have football insights. These aren't stupid people. Yeah, but you're not going to talk about the Bills in 18 on a national platform. No. Because they're bad. Because that doesn't pay your mortgage. Nope. <laughs> But it's gone beyond that. It's not just these guys. It's the people who live in our neighborhoods. They work in our offices. They go to the gym with us. We see them at the grocery store and see them adding Bill's insignia to their social media profiles. People that we never knew were Bill's fans until now. And I feel like right now, these fans, guys like us, season ticket holders, long-suffering fans, have been lashing out (laughs) to great effect over the course of the last month and a half. I'm going to read you a Facebook tag that I got from a listener, Jeremy Rogers. Jeremy, I love you, and this isn't meant to paint you in a negative light at all, but it's going to underscore the crux of my conversation there. He says, Drew Gear, do you think that we want people to jump on the wagon circled or tell them to kick rocks if they can't even tell you who Pancho Bia is? By the way, great podcast when he was a guest, R.I.P., I don't know. It it got me thinking. And I responded to him, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but it was in the aftermath of our win on Sunday night. As I'm falling asleep in the recliner in my son's nursery with him, and we're just playing in the chair and we're watching Bill's highlights, and he's glued to the... Chris, he loves football. Maybe it's just because of the bright colors and the fact that it... <laughs> He doesn't, he's six around. months old. He doesn't know what's going on. I know. On. He also loves Bluey on Disney Channel. I don't even know what the hell. It's like an Australian dog. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Swenson, if you know anything about this, tweet me. Bluey, why is it? Why, why are there Australian dogs? You do put him in that, I don't know, whatever that contraption that he sits in. It's got wheels on. And then there's a center thing with a wheel on it. And he cries every time because he can't remove the wheel. <laughs> oh, he wants it. to hulk that thing off and yeah. throw it his back. 
Yeah. You, every time I'm over for a game and he, you put him in that, he grabs this center wheel and he tries to rip it off, but he can't because he's six months and, then, and he doesn't have the strength. And then he cries. Yeah. He is my son. <laughs> but as, he, as we're sitting there in the chair and he's playing with my poncho power bracelet and he keeps grabbing it and he keeps pulling on it and I'm looking at it and I really start thinking about this. <sighs> Guys, the Bills as a fan base, right? We've always been known as being ferociously loyal. And in the last 10 to 15 years, we've blown that up. I mean, from the table jumping and the absurd tailgate antics to literally traveling in hordes to away stadiums. We drink other cities dry. Remember Carolina? Yes. I think that was the same way in Jacksonville for the playoff game. They ran out of beer in Carolina. And in Jacksonville, they ran out of booze. Not only that, but in Jacksonville, they actually complained there were people from the Jacksonville fan base tweeting at us. JK the Third, yep. the guys from Down by the Bank podcast were tweeting us saying there's reports that there is no more fireball whiskey left in Jacksonville. Like downtown near the stadium, near the hotel district and the bar district. You guys drank us out of fireball whiskey. Yeah, it was which all is gross. Yeah. I'm not drinking that. But Bills fans like to party. We represent one of the more manic groups of football watchers in the entire NFL. And our reputation precedes us anywhere we go. And yet, we're also the fan base that, in an effort to cheer our quarterback up after the passing of his grandmother, raised almost a million dollars for Oshai Children's Hospital to help fund a wing that now will forever bear her name. Next to a picture of his. Not just a shrine to his love for her, but our love as fans for him, as our quarterback. We're a fan base that is supporting countless charities for players all over the league, even if they're not ours. And initiatives all over the country like Ezra Castro's annual backpack drive. Yeah. Down there, Poncho was big on that. The backpack drive for disadvantaged children. This is the fan base, and this is something that I get choked. I get a little choked up about every time I talk about it. I don't want you to cry in my kitchen. Yeah. This is the fan base that had fathers pulling their sons out of school so that they could welcome the team back after their first Super Bowl loss and famously stood outside City Hall by the thousands chanting Scott Norwood's name. The morning after a crushing missed field goal cost us a Super Bowl victory and made one of the most glaring mistakes of his entire career, cheering him on to reassure him that even if he did screw up, and he was flawed, I mean, he struggled, and yet so have we as a city. I mean, I think about the movie Dodgeball. <laughs> when Peter LaFleur goes over to talk to White Goodman for the first time. And he's like, yeah, I see you guys over at Average Joe's. You know, I get your thing. I'm not all right, but you're not all right. And you're not all right, but together we might be all right. <laughs> like, I get that. You're all a mess over there. That's what Buffalo is. Think about the people you know from this city. We're all a little off. <laughs> you're definitely off. And yet together we're okay. So in that way, the city showed up for a guy who could be argued as one of the biggest losers because they wanted to reassure him 
that he was one of us. In fact, if anything, that missed field goal maybe made him more one of us than anything else because he'd failed, right? (laughs) The fact that he was willing to pick himself up the way this city and its people have time and time again, regardless of whatever the calamity, the hardship, that makes him one of us. So I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that's who we are as a fan base, or at least were. And if that's the case, then when you look around, yes, there's a lot of people with flawed opinions. There's a lot of people who have said some crazy things over the years. <sighs> flawed ways of seeing things or judging us and our team. <laughs> Those who didn't have it in them to gut out decades of punishment at the hands of this football team. <laughs> it killed my father. It killed my dad. My dad was the guy who, after the home run throwback, I watched him stop caring about this football team. After growing up with it as a child. It literally became my angels in the outfield moment. Where I was like, all I want is this. Chris, people argue with me. Is there ever going to be a moment like that for you where you just like go... I'm retired as a fan. I don't think it can, and here's why. Exactly. Because I grew up, but but here's why. Because I'm manic. And the reason I'm manic is because as a child, my father loved this team more than anything, and I watched it break him. And when he got off the bandwagon, and when he decided that he'd rather do yard work on Sundays than waste time watching the Bills. Meanwhile, I'm agonizing, pouring out my heart and soul into this, letting it control my emotions. Letting it dictate the the course of my afternoons. Yeah, but now you get to you get to relieve those emotions in front of a microphone. But I, I get that, and that's what spawned this. Like I said, Angels in the Outfield, the movie that I'm sure everybody's familiar with, and if you're not, it's Christopher Lloyd and Joey, Joey Gordon Levitt. But the thing was, his father left, and he goes, "Dad, when are we going to be a family again?" And his response was, "When the Angels win the pennant," because he figured it was the one thing that could never happen. I looked at this and said, I don't know when me and my dad are ever going to be this close again. It's going to have to be when the Bills win because that was the thing that brought us to, like, that was one of the things that brought us together. So it's going to take that. And I pit everything I had on that emotionally. And I rode that for years. And it didn't matter what happened. Every Sunday I'd be there. (laughs) I don't hold that against anybody else that they don't want to get back in the ring week after week and year after year to take that kind of abuse? I don't put that on anyone, Chris. I don't put it on you. I wouldn't wouldn't begrudge anybody who said, listen, I just can't do it. But who are we as a fan base then? If, If where we've come from and what we are isn't accepting flawed people, right? People who couldn't gut that out. Because my father came back. He went to his first two games with us last year. Yeah. That he's been to in decades. And it it did something for me personally that I don't... I haven't felt that emotional since I got married. <laughs> it was watching a game with my father. Being there in the stands with me. Most people don't have it in them to ride that out. And I don't begrudge them that. To me, those would seem like the people that we as Bills fans should embrace. Right? So what I would say to everybody out there listening to this, and I, I, Free Bree 88 on Twitter, 
had an incredible thread about it this afternoon, talking about the energy that Bills fans spend trying to combat negativity from the outside instead of trying to promote the positivity from within. This seems like the thing that we as fans should be embracing. So I'll say that let's enjoy this moment. Let's enjoy what this season is and what it could be. But let's do it in a way, Chris, that, I don't know, stop boxing people out. Because, let's face it, who are we? (laughs) We're Bills fans, right? We are the redheaded stepchildren of the NFL. And so if anybody else, people talk about bandwagoners, I think that this is, this team can take all the band, needs all the bandwagoners it can get. Everybody on, everybody on the train, right? Do you agree or disagree? I agree with that. Absolutely. Let's not forget who we are. And let's also not debase ourselves. Let's not go full heel turn here. Because Bills are Bills fans are known as being the most passionate in the NFL. Let's not screw up our legacy as fans over one season where we're angry about the fact that people didn't like us. Right? I think that that's fair. I think it's something everybody should consider as they walk away from this. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so now that we've gotten all of that off of our chat, and I feel like we can move forward, I think, in probably what was Sunday's most compelling game, easily, of the, uh, of the early slate of games. Yeah. Miami and Kansas City. What what a game. And here to talk to us about it tonight, as always, three yards per carry is Elf Artiaga. How are you doing, sir? Uh, well, I've, I've been better, but good considering. Good considering. How conflicted are you with the outcome of that game? Well, everything it was there was the whole it was the whole string of emotions, right? Like the game starts and you're looking at it and you're like, Okay, 
we're going to beat this team. Dolphins are going to beat this team. And then you're thinking, well, we're really blowing a lot of opportunities to try to score here and try to open this thing up and try to actually win this game. And then you go to being upset about some calls that don't go your way. Then you look at it and you're like, okay, now we're getting embarrassed. And then you then you go to, okay, wait a minute, we're back in this thing to, okay, let's just get one stop and we're going to win this thing. And then we don't get the stop. And then you're just left looking around thinking, well, that was one hell of a moral victory. Oh, dude, it was... <laughs> I've I watched the Buffalo Bills well, years and years ago when Ryan Fitzpatrick was our quarterback play a similar game in New England where he we got called a hundred yard over a hundred yards of penalties on us and we were at one point down by like twenty Fitzpatrick brought us all the way back just to throw an interception to end the game in the end zone in the end zone from like the wow. five yard line and the people who watched it with me. I think my friend had run out of booze from a party he threw the night before, so I ended up drinking an entire, like, magnum bottle of wine during the course of it because it was the only thing I could get my hands on. And he he said that he and everybody else in attendance said that they saw me go through every human emotion possible during that game. And when it was over, I was just left with my head in my hands going, what did I just, what did I just experience? And I felt like mm-hmm. it had to be something similar for Miami. I mean, you guys led 10 nothing late in the first give up 28 straight points to the early going of the third quarter. Everything's falling apart. And then all of a sudden, it you guys are just thrust back into it. First of all, to start the conversation, Miami defense, best in the AFC East. Is, is that, that's not a reach, is it? I think it's the second best in the AFC and probably the second best in the NFL. As of today... I believe they're first in third down defense. They're second in points allowed. They're, I think, eighth in sacks. And uh, there was another stat that I was that was given that was that was pretty. Oh, they're in uh, passer rating the differential. They're first. So they're they're a good defense. They allowed twenty four points. They got four turnovers, and they had four sacks of Patrick Mahomes, and they had four three and outs of that that offense. I mean, I watched that's you guys. A, that's a pretty good performance. Oh, it's a stellar performance. You forced Mahomes into his first multi-interception game of the season. And then the thing about the turnovers, because I've, I've heard people, you know, there was someone who tried, some Bills fans, who tried to almost take away from the performance by saying things like, oh, well, remember the time we almost beat Tony Romo because he threw five picks up? And I said, look at the difference, though. Like, when you think about not just the number of turnovers that the Dolphins' defense was able to accomplish, but look at the timing of it. I mean, first of all, there's the goal line interception on what's a sh- what is probably a sure touchdown to Tariq Hill. Then, on a catch and run later, I want to say to yeah, was it... Uh, I'm trying to think of the wide receiver's name, but he's not a big guy. And his ball security... It was Hardman. No, okay. Hardman catches the ball, and he if he takes that thing clean up the sideline, it's another touchdown. Like that's a that's a touchdown where everything on the offense went right, and at the short of the goal line, the defensive backs have the wherewithal to punch that ball out and recover it as a fumble, which means they're being coached not just hey bring that guy down limit the big play. It's even if you get beat, it's not over until it's over. Scrap, fight, get the ball, do whatever you have to do, and you're watching this team do it. I mean, that catch-and-run touchdown was impressive to me because it came when you guys were reeling. 
I mean, another touchdown like that and the game from a moral standpoint is probably just, morale standpoint is probably just over for Miami. But the mm. defense would not allow Kansas City to put a dagger in you guys. And that yeah, no, and there was a lot of, there was also a lot of, uh, like, I, I don't know how to, how to, how to put it, but like some unfortunate instances where, for example, Bobby McCain gets injured. He goes into the concussion protocol. The first play that he's out at free safety, they throw the deep, uh, the deep uh, post that scores Tyreek Hill. Well, you know they then have later to do on, that. The, yeah, and then earlier in the game, he goes out again, and his replacement blows the angle on the end around on Tyreek Hill. That's happened to us the last few weeks, actually, when mm-hmm. a starter has gone out, and then we're replacing him with either a rookie or an inexperienced player, and all of a sudden that guy is thrust into making a huge mistake. Well, for a touchdown. Well, that was actually one of the themes that I walked away from this game with. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about Tua because I was prepared. As I'm watching this game, I'm preparing notes. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I'm watching Tua Tagovailoa because we're used to watching him have two games, right? He Where he starts poorly or starts slowly, makes some mistakes, has some poor reads, kind of seems flummoxed. And then eventually, once the team gets desperate starts and they open up the offense starts to come on and this is what you saw I mean he was efficient saw the field well in that first half and he stakes you guys to a 10-point lead and then for the next two and a half quarters he played some of the ugliest football that he's had all year the passing game didn't get off off the ground until the fourth quarter which is hysterical considering you didn't have any wide receivers you literally didn't have any playmakers Tua goes out there and starts to orchestrate an offense. I mean, I think he only had a few first downs before that first long drive in the fourth. And it was nothing but throws to the tight ends. I think I looked at the chart. It was four or five straight completions to the tight end position. And that gives you guys your first points since the first quarter. And I say to myself, okay, I'm seeing some tempo here. It looks like their offensive coordinator is finally taking the handcuffs off. Now, we talked about it last week that you thought Chan Gailey was kind of limiting to his ability to really get out and run what could be a wide-open offense, considering how good he was at it in college. And I watched it play out yet again for another week in a row. Where is your frustration level right now with the orchestration of the offense as a whole? Well, I think they, they obviously have a plan. Chan Gailey obviously has a plan, and he's going to stick to it. And nothing's going to change it unless... Brian Flores tells him to change it, and evidently he did tell him to change it uh, a couple of weeks ago against the the Bengals when he told him in the second half, you know, run some up-tempo. That's what the kid likes to run. That's what he's good at. Let him do it. But in this game, it was – yeah, you say he started off well with the 10 nothing lead, but remember everything is – there's little instances and everything is relative in, in this game. If you remember, he had a 10 nothing lead. And he throws that that flag route in the end zone, and Devontae Parker gets two hands on it. And when Devontae Parker usually gets two hands on something in the end zone, it should be a catch. He drops it. How much better is his game if that ball gets caught? Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. And then you have Jakeem Grant on the big bomb, which um, upon further review, it looks like defensive pass interference. But forget the defensive pass interference. It's a great play by the cornerback getting his hand in there, pops it up in the air. That gets intercepted. 
that gets returned, and then they get a touchdown on that. So it's all these missed opportunities that conspired, I think, to to get him off to not a great start. Also, the big drop by Jakeem Grant over the middle. I guess you're sensing a theme with one yeah. player. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the, there's a reason that that guy is uh, is our kick returner and our gimmick player is because he never plays wide receiver. But at one point you were saying, okay, uh, they're only throwing to tight ends. Well, that's because they only had two healthy wide receivers. Yep. And at the end, they were running a, a no huddle with three tight ends because that was the only thing that was healthy. And then one of the tight ends, Mike Gusecki, got injured as well. So, you know, at the end of the game, he was with the second and third string tight ends. And with the the fourth, the third, let me see. Okay, Lynn Bowden, I guess you could classify him as the third for now since Preston Williams is not available. So they had the third, the fourth, and the fifth string wide receiver. <laughs> and that was what he put up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter with. Not just put up two touchdowns. Chris, statistic that'll blow your mind. The Chiefs are trying to salt away this game, right? If you're the Chiefs, all you got to do is hang on to the ball. We talked about it in this week's uh, recap of the Bill Steelers game. When we talked about... The Bills got the ball back in the, after that interception. And you say to your, if you're the Steelers, you say, okay, we threw a pick, but there's eight minutes left on the clock in the fourth quarter, and it's not that big of a deal. And then the Bills don't give up the ball. We hang on to it. We throttle the clock out till they're left with nothing but desperation, and that's the end of the ball game. This is all the Chiefs had to do to end this football game. And instead, in the fourth quarter, the Dolphins had 114 yards to the Chiefs' 17 at one point. And you're looking around going, what the hell is happening here? Your defense is selling out to keep this offense in the game, and the offense is clicking. Tua looked poised. He looked, Even with the ankle injury, which, again, is something <laughs> I feel like is becoming... You don't want to say it's becoming a theme because players get hurt. It's the NFL. It's the nature of football. But it's like it's an ankle. It's a hamstring. It's a hip. It's, a, it's just... And even going back to his time at Alabama... We had to deal with some of that, too, where it was, okay, well, he tweaked this, and he tweaked that. You're just like, son of a bitch, just be healthy. Just, just but, but he powers through. So mm-hmm. you can't criticize him. But early on, after he rolled his ankle, you could tell. I mean, how many passes did you see after he first tweaked it where he was wildly off the mark? And you say to yourself, okay, that's it. That's a wrap on his day because he's just not, he's not throwing, he's not setting his feet when he throws. I mean, you had to have seen that. Yeah, and uh, it was it was mostly a timing thing. Uh, another thing that did happen in this game, which was which made it a really odd game. Although you know we're pretty happy, I'm pretty happy with the defensive performance. I thought they played lights out, except for that last drive. Like you know, we do fancy ourselves. A, if you do fancy yourself a great defense, and you do think you have a top three defense and maybe the second best defense in the AFC, you know, go get that last stop. And they they couldn't get it. They forced a fourth and one. And you talk to anybody, and especially on our podcast, Chris Kaufman w- was telling me, you know, I was looking at the clock, and I saw that there was 2.41 left on the clock, and it was fourth and one. And I was thinking to myself, if we stop them, we got to go 70 yards to win the game, and I think we are. I think we're going to go 70 yards to win the game. And they just didn't – they couldn't get off the field. It was a great play by Patrick Mahomes on, on fourth and one. They run that little rub route. They hit Tyreek Hill. And that's the game. Well, and I guess that's the point. Like, you went up against one of the best teams, and you almost came away with it. You were just a hair short. And you're not the only team that feels that way. There's a lot of them out there. I mean, that's what great teams do to you. 
I mean, I can't tell you the number of times it's happened to us with the Patriots because we don't have your weird, aberrant victories every now and again over New England. <laughs> like We don't have any of that to hang our hats on. Uh, the, the, the game that we had this year against Kansas City came down to a similar type of game where you're like, okay, I don't know how because we played like garbage for long stretches, but here we are. We're in it. And then all you need is one thing and you don't get it. But that's what happens when you play great teams. You have to be consistently great or you're not going to win very often. Now, before we let you go, I think the overarching theme that I walked away from this with, one of the stories heading into the 2020 season regarding the makeup of the Dolphins was that this team was built with a lot of veteran talent on defense, youth on the offensive line, but with nothing in the way of proven depth at really any position outside of maybe linebacker and defensive back. And as the season has progressed, we've watched Miami struggle when their starters get nicked up or just aren't available. Whether it was your defensive backs versus Buffalo. You know, when when you guys lost your number one cornerback against Buffalo, Stephon Diggs went wild the second he came off the Mm -hmm. field. Whether it was your offensive line getting beat up in that Denver game and they pressured the hell out of Tua and forced him into just probably the worst day he'll have as a starter in the NFL. And in this last loss... To his play when he's hobbled and he's still trying to figure it out, and your offensive coordinator won't take the shackles off, and you're trying, and your offensive coordinator is probably scrambling to try to figure out who the hell do I design plays for now? I've lost everyone. I lost. I mean, no one should be shocked. I mean, Chris, I I have a running list of here's all of the things that Miami that happened in this game. Your first of all, the running room gets the running back room gets decimated. They've got James Washington, I believe, or James. Whoever out there. DeAndre Washington. DeAndre Washington. Used to play for the Raiders. That's all I could remember. And it dramatically changes the way you have to play. Because now you have to pass more than you can run the ball. Free safety Bobby McCain gets injured. They immediately give up a quick touchdown drive. Then he inevitably another touchdown when he comes out of the game for the second time. You lose your number one and number three wide receivers, and there's zero points scored from the first quarter to the fourth quarter because your offensive coordinator is now trying to figure out how the hell to cobble together an offense. Offensive tackle Austin Jackson gets injured. They give up a safety on the very next play because his backup gets beaten like a drum. And Gesicki scores to break the scoring drought and then immediately hurts his arm. And it just sets the whole offense back another step. I think that this game kind of served as a reminder that you guys have talent. You have legitimate pieces. Gusecki's a beast. You have talented wide receivers and DeAndre Parker. You've got good offensive linemen. You've got solid defensive players. But when all of that starts to get chipped away at, you don't have guys behind that who can backfill. Would it make me a jerk if I were to say to you that Miami— a tough unit with a top-shelf defense and an offense that protects the football probably doesn't have the depth here in 2020 to really go into the... You guys can probably still make the playoffs. I'm not going to say that you won't. But do you trust that you guys have the depth behind those starters to really make a run in the postseason? Because I don't think so. On the offensive side of the ball, absolutely not. But um, there's a phenomenon which which has happened so far... The offense for, it seems like forever, but it's really been five consecutive weeks where they can't get, they can't come into a game 
with a healthy offensive unit. It's always somebody. It's always the right guard. It's always the right tackle. Sometimes it's it's the starting wide receiver. Sometimes it's a couple of tight ends. Against the Jets, it was four running backs. We actually tried to play a game against the Jets with two running backs. And in this game, we played it with two active running backs the entire game. <laughs> DeAndre Washington and Patrick Laird, who Patrick Laird is really a third down back. Okay, he does he doesn't get many carries. He he got a couple in this game. So they haven't been healthy for weeks, but there's been something that's been going on, which is that Tua Tungavailoa as as he faces more adversity, it doesn't seem to bother him as much as it would maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick or in the past Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill facing these injuries, because we saw it before, decimated and making a playoff run in 2017 with Ryan Tannehill. All hell broke loose as soon as we started taking injuries on the outside and on the offensive line. With Tua, it just seems like he makes do and he stays efficient. And I guess they have the right formula. You have a good defense. Your special teams doesn't hurt you too much. They're actually really good. Although in this game, they give up that punt return. But there was an obvious Hold. I don't know if you saw it. They pulled down. <laughs> it was bad. No egg benogany. It was and bad. And I, I, I watched it live, and I was like, okay, you know, this, that's <laughs> nice that he's running up the sideline, but you know, this is coming all the way back because they just pulled this guy right in front of the referee. And then it doesn't. And and sure you up. look around and go, wait a minute, what? What the hell? I thought this was football. Yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no flag here, but you know, so I guess you have they have the right formula to get there. They just don't have enough depth-wise, to do anything with it once they get there. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch your guys run up to the playoffs. Obviously, we're still looking at that Week 17 matchup as a potentially big one, although depending on what happens this weekend, it it may be big for you guys. I mean, nobody wants to say, hey, we got to win in Week 17 because our opponent was sitting their starters. But at this point, would you take it? Oh, of course, because <laughs> I want to get I want to get these young guys um, some playoff experience, of course. And to be honest, and to be completely honest with you, I've seen you. I saw you guys against the the Steelers. I saw the Steelers play against the Washington football team. I would love nothing more than to see my team as a seventh seed go into Pittsburgh as a two seed and play them in the first round because I really do believe they have a chance to win that game. Oh, I, I think after what we saw and the, the the trend that they're on, I think anybody with a sound defense can beat those guys. And hey. For as crazy as it sounds, we'll be rooting for you. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming up this week and where people can find you on social? Well, we will preview Dolphins Patriots on Thursday. And, of course, my Yardwork series is up on YouTube on the Five Reasons Sports Network uh, YouTube account. And, of course, the Three Yards Per Carry Twitter account. Everything's on there. You can get our podcast, of course, on your usual podcast provider. And so if we're going to end on a lighter note... I want to talk about one of the closest games that took place on Sunday. And that's the New York Jets losing by a score of 40 to 3 to Seattle Seahawks. (laughs) And here to talk with us about it, as he does every week, he comes on the show and takes a beating. Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you doing? Hey, Drew, as always, I'm very happy to be your Barry Horowitz or Brooklyn (laughs) Brawler or whichever 1980s jobber you want to equate me to. So go ahead and beat me up and get score the three count on TV for the people that are looking for you to be the superstar here. But here's but here's what I here's what I love about you. You showed up all season long throughout arguably the worst, eh, worst jet season of all time. 
I mean, you guys had the number one pick once in the last, what, 20 years? You took Keyshawn Johnson? You took Keyshawn Johnson. Which is weird that there was ever an era where the number one pick wasn't a quarterback. I feel like that's strange. Either that or a defensive end. A wide receiver at number one overall? Even Megatron didn't go number one overall. But either way, you have stuck through us throughout this experiment of a podcast called the AFC's Roundup. You've actually become a mainstay. You've, it's been fun. And I feel bad that every week when you come on here, it's like I want to talk to you about this game, but it's hard because the games, I watched yours. I actually watched it in tandem on one TV while I was watching another game on another. And it was hard to watch. And I don't know how Jets fans are still out there doing it. I don't know how you're doing it. I give you so much credit for it. I, mar- I promise you there will come a day when you are not the Barry Horowitz, when you are not a soup can thrown out there into the ring to take on you know, Mr. Perfect or some other wrestler in an effort to make him look better and bump up his stock. But until that time comes, we have to talk about this game. First of all, did this game go as poorly as you expected? I don't know if I thought it was going to get this out of hand, but I did think the Seahawks would win fairly comfortably. But then again, as a Jets fan, you never, ever, ever know for sure what to expect. They always find a way to throw you a curveball once in a while. So the question was, was this going to be the week? And it certainly wasn't. The Jets did have one nice drive at the beginning. They scored got a field goal, and that was pretty much the end of it for them after that. But the Seahawks had really a lot of trouble early on. Like in the first quarter, they left a lot of points on the field. But once that offense started to click, that was pretty much all she wrote. I would say late second quarter on, it was pure domination. (sighs) To read, just to outline, for people who are listening who may not understand the gravitas of what you guys had to contend with his fans trying not to vomit all over yourselves watching this team. You guys took a nine play four and a half minute drive down the field for a field goal to, to open the game. That's how it started. And you say to yourself, okay, this Jets team came to play. This is fantastic. We actually have something to work with here. And as a Bills fan watching this, I'm going, all right, the Jets aren't just going to be a doormat this week. They're actually going to give some fight here. Well, they proceeded. Their next drive had three plays in one yard. They punted. They proceeded to punt on their next drive, fumble on their next drive, followed by three consecutive missed field goals, finished two drives with negative yardage, negative six and negative eight, another drive with one yard, and then mercifully the game ended. (laughs) I... Scott, that's something that if you told me the Bills were going to play that game, I don't know what I'd burn, sage, jerseys. I don't know what it would take, but Jets fans are doing okay with this, right? There's an article today in the New York Post by Brian Costello, and basically what he said is that Jets fans are at the point now where they're either rooting for the tank or they just don't care what happens. And I think that's pretty much what encompasses the feelings of the entire fan base right now. I don't know how many people actually got upset by the result of this. They may have been rooting for the Jets to win, but even if they were, I don't know how angry they would have gotten at this 
because a nobody expected them to win, and b it was over pretty fi- pretty early on. Like I said, mid second quarter. And the thing is, I, I like to record the SNY post game afterwards because I'm always curious to hear what Bart Scott is going to say, <laughs> and this will tell you about how the game went. My DVR was set for seven o'clock for the post game to start, right? And now sometimes. It starts late. Usually it does because the game will go over the allotted three hours. Well, this game, when I turned on the DVR of the post game, it was already in progress. So the game ended early because this thing was such a blowout that there was very little in the way of stoppages of the clock. I think it ended after like two hours and 50 minutes, which is crazy for an NFL football game. But, yeah, I don't think there were a lot of fans that were that invested in this. And I can't imagine there are a lot of fans that are very invested at all the rest of the season. I would think that if anything, maybe there are some fans, maybe the older fans in particular, that really want the Jets to win a game so they don't go 0-16. But I don't think most of the fan base cares that much about that. I think everybody kind of knows what the prize is or what the light at the end of the tunnel is, and everybody's knocking on wood and keeping their fingers crossed that they just get there without messing this up. Is there any fear that it might be hard to get people back. (laughs) That it might be hard. (laughs) Like, if the Jets land the number one pick, are Jets fans going to come crawling back out of the woodwork to support this team? Or is it going to take some time for this team to rebuild the goodwill from the fan base? I mean, this is a tough pill to swallow. I'll say this. It really depends on what happens in the early part of the offseason, right? So if, as you said, they get the number one pick, that'll be step one. Step two would be getting rid of Adam Gase, and then we see who the Jets hire as the next coach, which would be step three. Step four is what do they do in free agency, and then step five is the draft. I think if they get the number one pick, they hire a good coach. Now, again, everybody's going to have different opinions on who that should be, but if they hire somebody that the fan base in general respects and then they go out and make some good moves, not necessarily the flashiest moves on earth, but if they make some quality moves in free agency and in the draft, they go and get a bunch of really good players. I think that Jets fans will get excited again because I think what they've seen with both the Bills and the Dolphins is that this can be done fairly quickly if you do it right. It can take you two, three years, but Look, the Bills a couple of years ago weren't all that impressive. Now all of a sudden they're leading the division and it looks like, I don't want to say shooing, but they're getting pretty close to wrapping up the AFC East, even the Dolphins. Last year we were talking about Tank for Tua. This year they're right there in the playoff race. So if you do it right, it can turn around reasonably quickly, and I think that Jets fans will realize that if they perceive that the right moves are being made. I think right now Joe Douglas has a lot of goodwill behind him, This last draft class that he put together, while not perfect, seems to be one of the better draft classes they've had in quite a while, which is a low bar, but still. So right now, his approval rating is fairly high with Jets fans. If he continues to make moves that fans approve of this offseason, I think that they'll be there. When, knock on wood, there are fans that are let back into MetLife Stadium in September. How about this one? Follow me here, Scott. So this week we got Miami... And New England. New England beats Miami, gives us the division. The following week, 
we take out New England and eliminate them from the playoffs, and then the last week of the season, Belichick will fuck it. I hate, I hate New York with a passion. So I'm just going to throw this game, and the Jets win that last game against the Patriots to go one in fifteen, and then I think at that point, the number one pick goes to the Jaguars. Here's what I'll say to that. I think that's become a popular take. And listen, it depends on what the Jets' record is at that point. But what I will say is Bill Belichick has enough of an ego that I can't imagine he's going to be the one guy that would want to be the one that loses to that team. At Oh, you lost to the one-win Jets. Like I can't imagine he wants that on him. And more importantly, he hates the Jets with a white-hot passion. He would love to just pin that 0-16 right on their chest. Now, again, a lot depends here because what if the Jets surprise people against the Rams this coming week or what if they beat the Browns? Anything can happen. You guys know this. Any given Sunday, we've seen some crazy things. Hell, you, your team lost on a last-second Hail Mary that nobody expected. So anything can happen in, in an NFL game. But if they get their 0-15, then – I know a lot of people think that Belichick's gonna gonna lay down. I don't think he will, but I also, if I were Joe Douglas, wouldn't be taking any chances. I'd be making whatever moves I can make to ensure that nothing goes wrong that final week. Drew, wouldn't you? If you're Belichick, wouldn't you want to lay down that final game? Because if you let the Jets go 0 16, then you have you have six games every year against Josh Allen, Tua Tunga Viola, and Trevor Lawrence. Unless he's planning on retiring, in which case he doesn't care. He's going to go out with a victory, and then he's going to tell, yeah, and then he's going to flip everyone the the double middles and stroll out of Foxborough. As we talked about earlier, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! As we talked about earlier with our guest from the Patriots, Mister Mike Debate, it's gaining steam that somehow this lunatic idea that the Patriots should move on from from that man, move on from Bill Belichick. You talked about his ego. If he feels like he's no longer respected by the media, by the fans, by maybe even the regime itself, maybe even ownership, wouldn't it strike you, because he's such a prideful man, that he would do something like that on his way out the door to say, look, I won my last game. I'll see you in hell because you're all going to lose a lot of football. Well, and the other thing is, Bill Belichick has a big enough ego that I can't imagine he's afraid of Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he's afraid of Allen. I don't think he's afraid of Tua. I don't think he's afraid of anybody. He believes that he can out-coach and out-scheme. I mean, look look what he did for years, that battle with Peyton Manning. I think he enjoyed that. He loved going head-to-head with Manning and trying to best him. So I don't think that Belichick would do that. Now, listen, it, I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, by the way, I will I will say I haven't really paid enough attention but if that is true that patriot fans want belichick out and they are the dumbest and most spoiled fan base i've ever seen in my it's, life it's incredible the same idiots that wanted tom brady gone so i don't know what to say i mean that's brady, my point way, it's the same yeah. people who said oh we don't need tom brady and now they're going oh we don't need this hall of fame head coach and they're gonna go wow we don't need any of these players and next thing you know they're going to be the replacements like the movie the replacements they're gonna be they're going to have that team and look around and go, wait, how did we get here? Oh, that's right. They all left. <laughs> they all left you alone. I can't, I can't imagine Bob Kraft is that stupid. But then again, he's done some things that 
we're not the smartest in the world, if you know what I'm getting at. So, well, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I'll say this. You want to besmirch his name with uh, with the allegations of what may or may not happen have happened in a massage parlor? That man is a great man. I actually love Bob Kraft. I love Bob Kraft. Let me tell you, that that's not even what I was referring to. I was referring oh. to other things. Oh, okay. Well, I was looking at it because I go, listen, Bob Kraft, he's a great man. He's done so much for charity. His wife died of cancer, yeah. so he's given millions away to cha- to cancer research. He does so much charity work for the Boston area. He's literally moved mountains just by being a charitable individual. I swear I to God, afraid. those charges trumped up. I feel like that guy shouldn't have to be. No, I wasn't even talking about that. I was talking about that cringe video we made with that 20-year-old girl right oh, after his no. wife passed away. That that one was like, whoa, dude, what made you think that that was a good idea? But <laughs> as far as the other thing, I'm not getting into that because whatever. Yeah. There's so many things involved. Let me in wander into the weeds on that because you're, you're a professional and I'm a hack with, oh, what am I, like six, seven beers deep? Eh, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> we don't need to worry about that. Let me take the bullets on this one. What I'll say is this. I'm a petty man, and I understand pettiness, and Bill Belichick is every inch of petty. I know in my heart of hearts, like we, we, I, I'm probably still getting in trouble over what I said about the Cleveland Browns and how them and their fans deserved that Monday Night Football loss this week. You deserve that. Why? Because you got to go to games when your team was finally good after years of sucking, and I didn't. <laughs> and I hold, and I take, <laughs> and I take that personally. So, with that said, I think Belichick has something to him here, and I think that this franchise is at a tipping point. We, as the AFC East, are getting stronger while they're getting weaker, and you guys are at the point of a full teardown. You guys could have, to your point, what we as the Bills and the Dolphins have if you orchestrate this appropriately. The last question I'll ask you before we let you go, how comfortable after watching the way this has played out, after watching what's gone on with Adam Gase and the fact that he hasn't been fired and the fact that Joe Douglas is letting him ride this out, the fact that Joe Douglas has made some questionable decisions, like not to keep Robbie Anderson or not to keep... He's made some choices that aren't top shelf. Where are Jets fans in the event that, I mean, how much hinges on Joe Douglas's next six months? A lot, especially if they get the number one pick. And actually, I should say if they don't get it, a lot hinges too, because there will be a lot of decisions to be made there. He has, and to be fair, uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in terms of the head coaching hire. How much power does Douglas have? Is he just going to be the guy that recommends a choice, or is he going to be the guy that literally makes the choice himself and ownership just signs off on it? I think that's what most people would prefer at this point, but we don't really know how that's going to work. So I think a lot of it does hinge on the next six months because – they're going to have a treasure trove of draft picks and so much money to spend, and they're going to have the opportunity to get a new coach. If they do it right, it's going to set them on a path towards where you guys are and where the Dolphins are. If they do it wrong, we're having this conversation again in two or three years, and I don't think any Jets fan has the stomach for that. The joke has always been every three years the Jets somehow find themselves rebuilding again, at least over the last decade. So 
Jets fans, I think, are very much hoping to avoid that fate. And the big step towards avoiding that fate is a successful offseason. I don't want to say it's the most important offseason in the history of the franchise because it seems like everybody says that it's like elections. This is the most important election of our lifetime. And then four years later, that's the most <laughs> important election of our lifetime. And that's kind of how it is with, with the off seasons with the Jets. This is the most important hiring decision with the coach. This is the most important draft. This is the most. I'm not going to say that, but I will say it is very, very important. And it could make or break Joe Douglas's tenure because if he doesn't make the right moves, if he hires – if he's tasked with hiring the coach and he makes the wrong choice, if he doesn't hit on draft picks, if he doesn't get guys that he really needs in free agency, then, like I said, this could sputter out in two or three years, and the next thing you know, the Jets are looking for another general manager. Chris, how much fun is it going to be having Scott on in this offseason? This is what I love. This regular season, Scott's been kind of the whipping boy. You've been the Barry Horowitz. But come the offseason, you are going to be the star of the show when we do these AFC round AFC's Roundup podcasts because you are going to have the most compelling <laughs> storylines that anybody has to talk about. I can't wait for it. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys are still working on over there as you kind of ride out the clock over at Play Like a Jet and where they can find you on social? I should say, by the way, that I'm used to the offseason being the most interesting and important time of the year for the Jets over the last couple of years. It's been a while since the games themselves have actually been the star attraction. I guess 2015 when the Bills beat them in week 17 to knock them out of the playoffs and Joe Blewett almost got hypothermia sitting in the crowd in Buffalo would have been the last time that the games actually meant a lot to Jets fans. But what we're doing to wrap up the season the next couple of weeks We've got some great shows. Andy Vasquez, now again, I'll remind you that uh, every day just after midnight is when the show drops. So if you're an insomniac, you work a late shift, you have to be up early in the morning, it's there for you first thing in the morning or at the end of the evening, whichever you prefer. So Monday just after midnight, the post-game report with Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com drops. Then on Tuesdays, what we've been doing is we've been uh, having Brian Bassett and his friends Travis Milton and Josh Conrad do a show called There's Always Next Year. This week was fun because they talked plenty about the Jets, but they also compared the Jets season to the Taco Bell Big Bell Beefer. And <laughs> if you want to know how that's a relevant <laughs> comparison, you got to listen to the show. It's pretty funny. Wednesdays, we do draft stuff with either Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report or Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com. Thursdays, midweek news report with Chris Ryan of NJ.com. On Fridays, it's Michael Nania with the stats. We call it Chronicles of Nania. He gets down and dirty with the analytics. Saturdays, it's your old friend Joe Blue breaking down the film. And then on Sundays, we do the pregame report and answer some mailbag questions with the very big deal Chris Nimbley over at JetsInsider.com and Walter Cherpinski of WalterFootball.com comes on to give us some gambling tips. You can find the show on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And gentlemen, as always, really appreciate you having me on. Always have fun. And I don't even, and I don't even mind being the Barry Horowitz. Let's remember, Barry Horowitz, for whatever anybody wants to say, made a really nice living in pro wrestling for a really long time. So there's something to be said for being the guy to take the fall. Mike Debate, Alvar Tiaga, and Scott Mason 
They're like the I don't know what I don't know what wrestling term. They're like the NWO. <laughs> the NWO. Wolf I just remember there was a kid at school who used to walk around going Wolfpack. Wolfpack and just yelling it at people. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Are you stoned? There is a guy that it's 10 10 a.m. Why are you yelling Wolfpack at people? There was apparently a wrestling term and him and his friends would get together in the hallway and be like, Wolfpack. There was a I forget the guy's first name, but I want to say it was uh, Matt Russell who played hockey with my brother. His dad, like that was like 97, right when the NWO was hot. His dad would like do that to all the kids. He would just do that like the too sweet. And then all the kids would do it right up to him. Too sweet. It's like a rock sign, yeah. except your fingers yeah. are everybody kind of knows the out in front. Yeah, everybody knows the NWO symbol. I don't think and, they do. Because yeah. most of them have lives and didn't watch wrestling like that. Oh, I bet, I bet 100% of our <laughs> listeners know the NWO. The NWO, too sweet. You just touch fingertips. That's what this dad would do to like all the kids on the hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Also, he had... Uh, he had Donald Trump-like skin tone, wore uh, loafers with no socks, made a lot of money, and then di- also did that to kids. That's what a hysterical man! Hey, that's how that's how you did things in Alpharetta, Georgia. Yeah, apparently, what else you did in Alpharetta, Georgia, folks? Those of you who don't know, Chris is the guy who the two hottest Bills games on record. He's worn jeans to, right? Yeah, he's worn jeans because he says, "Well, I'm from the South." I'm used to the heat. I'm not from the South. I live there, and I... I'm used un- to the heat. I'm used to the heat. Okay, so he's used to the heat. But as we sit in his apartment right now, I'm wearing my 1991 throwback suede Bills jacket that Mike Swenson is the only other person who owns one of these that I know. Yeah, because you gave it to him. I did give him one. And I've got on a sweet cardigan. It's freezing in his apartment, and he's not cold. He doesn't care. No, You're I some don't. weird hybrid animal that... Like, how do you not feel temperature? No, it's fine in here. I see we kill you and dissect your brain. All right, Figure cool. Figure that all works. Probably have CTE. <laughs> From what? You're not an athlete. I play hockey. <laughs> Roller hockey. The Week 15 Outlook. Buffalo away versus Denver. With the division at hand, the Bills are a step away from establishing McDermott and Brandon Bean as legitimate franchise runners. I don't see anything Denver bringing to the table getting in the way of that. I just don't. Miami and New England, they're going to play each other down in Florida. And the loser, what, the loser goes home? No, I think Miami's still got a shot, but... Their playoff chances drop to the single digits if they lose this game. Whereas if... The Patriots lose, they're eliminated. Yeah, we don't and want we, that. And we saw on Monday Night Football this week what happens when good teams get backed into a corner on the verge of elimination. That's right. Their quarterback takes a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that game is going to be incredibly interesting on a Sunday afternoon when there's nothing else going on. Literally nothing else going on. Yeah, I don't even even look at the Sunday schedule if there's anything good. <laughs> Who cares? We're all looking at Saturday. That's all I give a damn about. Well, Saturday, the other thing, you know, week 15 outlook, at least for us, because we're playing at 430, and then because of you, roll tide, right after that is the SEC championship game. (sighs) If Alabama doesn't win this game against Kyle Trask and the... If you can lose to an unranked team, you can lose to Alabama. Yeah. Roll tide. 
And then in the not entertaining column is the New York Jets against the L.A. Rams. I have multiple Rams players in fantasy football from Akers to Goff to Woods. The Jets hopefully are prepared to lay down once again for an NFC opponent. It's all I can hope for. It's all we can all hope for. That and a victory for the Buffalo Bills. Guys, it's been great talking about the AFC. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I love Bills fans, but I think we all need to take a step back and compose ourselves. Let's find it this week as we win the division. Thanks for showing up, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship future all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.